Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. We're going to be bringing the second part of our series called The Family. It's this series that we're working through over the season of Advent that runs really from the week before December starts right up until Christmas. And it's this time of expectation, this time of hope, of looking forward to. When I grew up, I kind of thought that Advent was like a, a countdown to Christmas, right? But actually, what, as I've grown up and as I've learned more about this season as a whole, you realize that actually it's not counting down to Christmas, to simply a celebration of when Jesus was born or the day that we celebrate that, but it's a looking forward. It's a time of expectation to the day where one day we believe that Jesus will come again. And so at this time of year, as we remember the time that he came first, we look forward to in hope and in expectation, in anticipation of the day that he will return. And so in this sense, Christmas really is a mystery, right? And what I mean by this isn't that it can't be known, because clearly there are things we can know about that first Christmas. I'm going to try and teach you some of those things today. But Christmas is in a mystery, not in the sense that it can't be known, but the more that we learn about it, the more it forces us to rethink everything we thought we knew up until that point. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, what I want from us really as a church and as a community is to go away and have a real good rethink about the things we thought we knew, the things we thought we were certain of, and what it might be that God is calling us into. So that's my hope this morning to you. Does that sound all right? Fantastic. So here we go. We looked at Mary last week, and didn't, didn't Dina do amazingly well as part of the first series uh, last week? It's a tough gig. A family service. It's a tough crowd, right? Tough crowd. Not to mention kicking off a series at a family service in like 15 minutes flat is actually a really difficult thing to do. And Dina did amazingly well. And there's just a couple of things that I want to circle back to that she talked about last week. So she asked this brilliant question. She said, does Mary say yes with all the costs that might be involved or stick with what was planned? Dina then went on to tell us that Mary was chosen to bring the kingdom of God in a really tangible, practical way through the birth of Jesus, into the here and now. And although we may not be called to birth Jesus, we are called to bring him into this world in real practical, tangible ways. We've heard from Bev already this morning about an amazing opportunity that we have as New Life is to bring Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of those in our community. And so here we have two people, Mary last week and Joseph today. They've both got their own families. They're both part of a wider community. They both have their own lives and histories that have led them to this moment. Mary is perhaps just 13 or 14 years old. Joseph, probably a few years older, perhaps a couple of decades. We're not going to dive too deeply into that. Joseph was from a royal line, so he was of, of royal birth. But the royal line at the time of Joseph was in disrepute. All right? It wasn't really that great of a thing. David was great, and people celebrated and looked back to David, and in expectation looked forward to a day where a king like David would return. But over the years and over the histories, the royal line had fallen into disrepute. And I wonder whether it was a source of honor or whether it was a source of shame for Joseph. 
that this is my family history, the family line that messed it all up for the people of Israel. This is my history. This is my family. And so Joseph carries that history with him. We know almost nothing about their immediate families. Right? Very, very little is told to us through Scripture, and only a little about Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And as far as Joseph is concerned, there's only 13 instances in the whole of the New Testament that we have anything to go by. So there's not a great deal that we know But what we know about him, I think, is really significant for us. And I'm going to go through some of that stuff today. So Matthew, we're going to be working from Matthew chapter 1 today, if you've got Bibles with you. Some of the verses are going to come up on the screen behind me as we go through. But if you've got your Bibles, why don't you just turn to Matthew chapter 1. And before I start telling his story, I'm just going to open in prayer. Why don't you close your eyes? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege it is to come together this morning and to listen to these stories that are of you. Not just that they're histories, Lord God, but that they challenge us in the here and now. And we believe firmly this morning that through this message, you are calling us into something this Christmas season. Would you make that plain to us today? In your name we pray. Amen. So Matthew tells the story like this. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We're just going to pause there for a moment. So there's a few differences from the story that Dina read in Luke last week, for those of you that were here, and the telling of the story in Matthew. Mark's already said this morning as part of his plug for the Bible course, um, There are differences in some of the books that we find in the Bible, and you could look at those as contradictions, or you could simply take a look at them and go, well, clearly these are written by different people for a different purpose, probably to a different people group. And in the same way that I will tell a story one way to Elena and a different way to my mother-in-law, Matthew and Luke are telling the same story, but in a slightly different way, because it's addressed to a different person. We change stories all the time. That's not to say that what's in them is fabricated, They're just serving a different purpose in a different time and place. And so Matthew tells his story in a particular way. Luke tells his story in a particular way for a different reason. But when we spot differences like this and lean into them, I honestly believe that we begin to allow Scripture and the authors who wrote it to speak for themselves. And when we allow them the privilege of doing that, I think it becomes more challenging. I think it becomes... uh, just more important for me to take seriously because this just mattered to them for a particular reason. If I can just figure out what that is, maybe, just maybe, God can lead me into something. So we've already heard a plug for understanding the Bible course. Honestly, Mark is a brilliant teacher. If you've been here with us for a number of months now uh, on Sundays, you'll have heard him teach at different points. In a classroom-type setting, it's just a different level. And so I would really encourage you, if you're in any way interested in grappling with the Bible, even for the first time, right the way through till the higher points of theology, please, please, please sign up for this course over the first quarter of next year. And so it says this. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child. That's 
it as far as Matthew's concerned. As we heard last week in Luke, there's this big visit to Mary from an angel. You will be with child, and the child will be called this, and it's all this pomp and ceremony, and we call it the Annunciation today, the announcement, the proclamation that the King Jesus would be born to the Virgin Mary. And in Matthew, we don't get any of that. Right? Mary just arrives on the scene, pregnant. And it's a little bit awkward, because right? Joseph's going... It's not mine. Right? Now, Matthew tells us that it's by the Holy Spirit, but that's for our benefit rather than for Joseph's. Okay? Joseph, at the time that he's discovering Mary is with child, isn't sat down reading Matthew's gospel. Okay? So Matthew's helping us with the story here. He's explaining things as he goes. But Joseph, as far as Matthew tells the story, knows none of this. Right? So all he knows is that he's become aware that his fiancée, the lady that he's engaged to marry, that as far as the law is concerned, they are already legally married. And she's pregnant, and it's not his. It's a bit awkward. It's an EastEnders-type moment, isn't it? It's like a Christmas special in the making. And so those awkward pregnancy moments, right, We've all had one of these, I'm willing to bet, in our lives. You know that moment where you suspect somebody's pregnant, right? But they've not told you. And you don't know whether to ask, right? Anybody experience something like that? Where you're going, Are you, I don't know whether I should. Only men. Only men, fair enough, only men. I'll, 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 I'll accept that this morning. Um, just men, then. It's never okay to ask. (laughs) That's never going to go well for you. okay? Because either you are, in which case you've robbed them of the surprise of telling you, or you're wrong, which is way worse. (laughs) Because it could simply be just a little bit of winter insulation as we come into the Christmas period. Or equally, it could be just an overinvestment in the sofa over the last year and a half of lockdowns. Okay, so it could be one of those two things. Either way, if it's either of those two things and she's not pregnant, it's not okay. You will not come out of that well, I promise you. So learn from me this morning, okay? Please, please, please. If you suspect somebody might be pregnant and they've not told you, just wait. Just wait for them to tell you. Of course, Joseph is now experiencing something of this awkwardness as he looks at his fiance going, I don't know whether to mention it. Do you mention it? I don't know. It's like she seems to be. I don't know what's going on here. And so there's some awkwardness in the text for us this morning. And so the betrothal, this engagement period, so what that looked like is this, right? So they would spend anywhere up to a year legally married, but not yet married. Does that make sense? So all the paperwork is done. They've got the legal responsibilities of her husband and wife, but they're living separately in different homes. Mary would have been living in her family home, Joseph in his house. And the reason that they dedicate a year before they even start married life is to prepare Prepare themselves. Joseph would have had some real practical things to have prepared, like his house, you know, big, tidy up, deep clean, because, you know, bachelor life. Maybe changing bedroom arrangements, adding extensions, all that sort of thing, preparing physically a place for his bride to be. He'd have been finishing up business arrangements that would have taken time because they would have focused that first year after they came together just on their married life. So business would have been slim, other um, responsibilities would have been stripped back. So they could just focus for that first 12 months on their married life. And so you've got two 12-month periods, one for preparation and then one for focus. And it's in this time period at the start of preparation that Joseph begins to notice a change. 
and it's a little bit awkward. And so imagine you've been working hard to make the necessary changes to accommodate your bride-to-be. Just imagine that for a moment. You've worked hard this year. You've conducted your business well. You've started to move towards that day where you would come together and to start your married life together properly. And around that time, it becomes a little bit obvious that either Mary's carrying some winter insulation or something has changed. And as far as Matthew tells the story... That's it for now. And so the text goes on to say this. It says that she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. Again, that is for our benefit rather than for Joseph's. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You might be thinking, can you get divorced when you're engaged? Yes, in this context, as soon as you were engaged or betrothed would be the word that they would use. It was legally binding, and so either by divorce or by death, those were the only two things that were going to result in these two people separating. You see, Joseph would have had really strong grounds for divorce, legally speaking. If a woman was found to be sexually active with a partner who wasn't her husband... The highest penalty, depending on her marital status and whether or not there was consent involved, could be death by stoning. It's serious stuff, right? And so again, as far as Joseph knows, Mary is just with child. We know there's something else going on. But he's faced with this reality going, what what do I do now? And so it goes on to say that Joseph was pondering these things. I don't blame him. (laughs) There's a fair bit to work through here. What, What do I do? What's right? What's wrong? What is the best course of action? I know what the law says. But is that right? Is this right? What can I do to help? Is there anything that I can do to help? And the Bible tells us this. He says that unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Quietly. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Just going to, real, sort of just to one side and just, hey, look, we're just going to, this isn't going to work for us. Clearly, you know, there's somebody else. And so I think it's best, because of the law and because of all these things that our community and our families would think, I think it's best if we just go our separate ways. And so in his intention to divorce Mary quietly, I wonder whether he's trying to save her life. It's interesting, isn't it? He's still wanting some form of best for her, even if that's not him. And it's just a really curious point that the text leans into. But you see, here's the thing, right? So who is Mary at risk from? If we believe that Joseph's intention was to limit the risk that she was going to experience by being with child, we have to ask the question, who's she at risk from? You see, in their world... Mary being pregnant wouldn't have brought shame on Mary in the first instance, but on her family. She'd have been living at their home over this period of engagement, living in their house, which you think about the story that Dina brought to us last week from Luke. When Angel Gabriel turns up, we, I've always read that as like, that's Mary's house, right? Because she's single and clearly living on her own. It's not how it would have been, right? So she's in her family home and the angel visits her. Anyway, back to Matthew's telling of the story. There clearly is this thing going on and the shame wouldn't have rested on Mary but on her family they would have been looked down on for letting her be in that be found in that condition clearly you've not been very good parents 
And so they would have carried the shame. Now, in the world of Mary and Joseph, honor and shame, sort of the two ends of the spectrum, would have been as real a part of their society, as real a part of their economy, as like the pound coin is for the UK. It's almost the bedrock of their society. Everything happens in the UK. At one point or another, a pound coin is involved, right? Whether that's a trip to McDonald's, right, or buying a house, um, even going to work, right? At some level, you are um, given a pound back, or hopefully more than a pound. If it's only a pound, do come and talk to me about employment law after the service. That'd be great. Um, but at some point, there's a pound coin involved. involved. And in the same way, in Mary and Joseph's world, whatever they were involved in, whatever they were doing, whatever was happening, whether it was employment or relationships or family life, these two things of honor and shame would have been as tangible, as measurable to them as a pound coin. And so when I say Mary's family would have carried shame if she'd been found in that condition, that's a really heavy thing. That's not just like, oh, they felt a bit bad and isn't a bit awkward serious loss, potential loss of business, loss of relationship, loss of status within their community, all of things of which they could have exchanged for help, for opportunities, for better relationships going forward. Does that make sense? I realize we've kind of, we've gone for a deep dive this morning, but I just, there's so much in this text, I just wanted to start to pick through some of this stuff for us. And so Joseph resolves in his heart to divorce Mary quietly, I think, to potentially save her from her family. Because in the culture of the day, the family that carried the shame could have restored some honor by removing the source of their shame. And according to the letter of the law, by stoning. And we'll be sat here this morning going, goodness me, this is, this is in the Bible? Again, we've said already, the Bible is written to a certain people group at a certain time and a certain place, a certain community with certain laws and certain customs. Now, as, as myself as a teacher, as somebody who loves digging into this stuff, I have to acknowledge that this morning and say that sometimes reading the Bible is awkward. Sometimes it throws some things up that we go, I don't really know what to do with that, Dan. That's okay. I'm going to help us work through it as we go. I'm going to give us some suggestions on what we might do with a passage like this. But it's all there, just laying under the surface of this nativity story, the story that you'll have all heard, I imagine, dozens if not hundreds of times over the years. And yet this tension is sat just underneath this story. Because even if Joseph had divorced her quietly that's not necessarily going to make things better for Mary. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Mary clearly would have been alive, and that's a, that's a good thing. Right? Most of us would agree that being alive is better than being dead. So Mary would have been living and with a baby, and that's great. But in order for that to be the outcome, she would have had to have moved away from family, moved away from her community, started life again in a brand new place with no connections, no relationships, no friendships, no support, no source of income for her and for her baby. And so although she would have been living, her living situation still would have been fraught with risk. But it's a better outcome, right? And so Joseph is trying to weigh these two things up, going, 
What does right look like in a world like this? And he's faced with that as he goes. Now the story continues, fortunately for Mary and for Jesus and for Joseph. And it goes like this. It says, as he considered these things and what things they are, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we already know this. This is the first, this is brand new information for Joseph. She will bear you a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his, peoples from, his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Remember, differences between Matthew and Luke. This is the first time we're hearing any of that stuff in Matthew's gospel. It's brand new information. And for Joseph, it's a game changer. (laughs) Everything now has changed. The stress, the anxiety, the worry of having found his fiancée to be with child. And what does right look like in this outcome? What am am I meant to do here? Because neither of these outcomes look great. And then suddenly the word of the Lord comes to Joseph. And in a moment... Everything changes. The story goes on as we know. And Joseph is obedient to the leading of God through his actions. And this is where I really want to labor today. So through Joseph's actions, we see this. We see that death is turned to birth. What should have been an outcome for death, or at the very least, it's going to go that way eventually is turned to birth, and through that birth, the Bible tells us, life is possible and available for all people everywhere. And so through a moment where you've got this birth that hasn't yet happened, and death is looking like the outcome, because of the word of the Lord to Joseph and his obedience to that word, it turns death to birth and birth to life. All through the obedience of a man to God. And it's not just the only time we see this. Matthew develops this theme of death to life throughout the rest of his story. Right the way from this first Christmas through to the resurrection of Jesus at the end of the story. You see this theme develop consistently over the book of Matthew as a whole. That where we expect to find death because of Jesus and the purposes of God, we find life. And so we see this played out time and time again. But Joseph's story isn't done yet. He doesn't feature massively in the rest of Matthew. But as we move into Matthew chapter 2, it says this. It says that when Jesus was about two years old and after the wise men have already visited King Herod... An angel visits Joseph again in a dream and tells him, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for this child and destroy him. And so yet again, through the obedient action of Joseph, his response to the word of God, we see now the infant Jesus saved from death and life becomes possible. 
So this is something now that Joseph has now not just got a bit of experience in, but he's now got a proven track record of not only being a just and righteous man, of being concerned for the welfare of others, but of behaving, acting, living in a way that makes life possible, even within a context of death. And it's that that I think we can learn most from Joseph this Christmas. Because there's a lot we can learn from him, right? We can learn this. He seems to act in a way that demonstrates that what's legal isn't always what's right. Right? The letter of the law should have seen Mary executed. And yet Joseph, as a just and righteous man, is looking for an alternative option. Band, why don't you come and join me just as I land? So Joseph's looking at this going... How does this, how, do, how is this right? How could this be right? I know what the law says. I know what, I know what the letter of Moses says. But how can this be? He consistently seems to behave in a way that snatches life from the jaws of death itself. But there's one thing here that I can't quite shake. And this isn't just true of Matthew, but it's true of instances of Joseph in Luke and then again in John. Throughout the entirety of the New Testament, all 13 occasions that we have of references to Joseph, we haven't got one single recorded word of Joseph. He never says a thing as far as the Bible is concerned. You think about Luke and the story from last week's sermon of Mary, right? Mary has like passages of vocals. She's got a whole song, right? It turns into a musical halfway through Luke. It's great. So we've got loads of words recorded from Mary. And yet in Joseph's following of God, in his response to the word from God, not a single piece of speech attributed to Joseph. Everything we know about him, we know because of his actions. Everything. And I wonder, and this is going to sound overly simplistic, and I don't mean it to, but I wonder if the lesson of Joseph this Christmas is that actions speak louder than words. We've heard it before, right? And yet what we've just heard is that as Joseph is working through a difficult context, messy, awkward, sort of thing that you would never wish to imagine yourself in, Joseph's navigating all that. He has a visit from an angel who gives him the word of the, uh, the, word of the Lord. And his response isn't vocal. His response is tangible, it's practical, it's measurable. You can touch it, it's tactile. And as I reflect back on the last year, of all the things we've heard, of all the things that have been spoken, whether through media or politicians or here in church or friends, family members, of all the things we've heard over the last year, year and a half, two years. I wonder whether as a community, as a church, God is challenging us today, not so much to be a people of speech, but a people of quiet obedience and of action. I just wonder, as I've reflected on this passage and over the context that we find ourselves in, whether God might be leading us quietly into obedience not to shout or to scream or to protest with our voices, but simply to do the work 
that needs to be done. What do you think? It's interesting, isn't it? So Joseph. What a man. The band are going to lead us in the time of worship shortly, but I'd encourage you just to stand for a moment. I'd just like to close this and seal this in prayer. Because my hope is this. As you've heard the message I've brought this morning, as you've dug with me into the text of the Bible, into just below the surface of some of the things that are in play, some of the awkwardness, some of the tension that we feel. I imagine you'll be feeling some tension as well. There'll be some things, some instances, some occurrences, maybe some actions, things that you've done or that have happened to you that you've called to your memory and just gone, oh, that's awkward. That's happened to me. Or I can associate, I can identify with that. Whether the character you most strongly identify with is Mary, in a potentially shameful position, whose future looks very uncertain and either way doesn't look great. Whether you identify with Joseph, who's trying to navigate something that is intensely difficult and you're not certain which outcome is best. Whether you identify with Jesus in this story and you feel like you have very little control over any of it at this point. (laughs) Which member of the family do you find yourself in this Christmas? Which story rings truest for you at the moment? I'd be willing to bet there's one more than the others. And so all I'd love to do is just pray for us this morning. So where you are, as you stood, why don't you just close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the major players of Mary, Joseph and Jesus. We thank you for the things that you brought about through their obedience, through their sacrifice, through their lives. We thank you that this isn't just a story that happened once in history. But in some ways, this is a story that happens year after year after year in the lives of your people. As we look forward to that day where your son Jesus will return, as we build towards that moment in expectation at this time of year, Lord Jesus, would you make it clear to each and every one of us what it is you're asking of us, what it is you're calling us to step into. Would you help us to know how to enter in quiet obedience into a life spent following you? May we be a people unafraid to speak, but only when necessary. And may our lives be marked by the behaviour that sees life brought from death, not just once, but again and again and again. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.